Hello, Marvelites, who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 595. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink. Yeah, we're here. It's March. It's March. March is happening. It's Women's History Month. It was the first day of spring this week, noted by a brisk 40-degree day. So, you know, it's beautiful times in New York. The sun is out. The fun is out. It's time to yeah. get morbid. Yeah. Ooh, I'm so excited to get morbid. In a little bit, we will. But this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we're excited about. This week, Lorraine, you got a fun interview that we have for the show. Yeah, I got to talk with my friend, author Mackenzie Lee, New York Times bestselling author, and now author of the new book, The Winter Soldier Cold Front. The first comics that I really got into and became obsessed with were the Ed Brubaker run of The Winter Soldier. And those were like the comics that made me a comic reader. Don't miss that chat later on in the show. She is a ding ding delight. Mm-hmm. It's not quite Morbin time yet soon, but first... We got to remind y'all that Marvel Studios' Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania has some really cool behind-the-scenes featurettes. You can watch a new video on Marvel.com and Marvel's YouTube channel featuring our pal Andy Park talking about how Jonathan Major inspired Kang's design and so much more. I just, I love Andy so much. He's just the best. Yeah, he is one of the incredible folks at Marvel Studios and just makes so many of the looks, the designs, the things that you see on screen that buggle the mind and um i'm so excited for everyone who has seen the film because we know that kang is a time traveling multiversal boy wherever you might find him mm-hmm. of course if you haven't seen it you can go check out the film in theaters now and of course see more behind the scenes on marvel.com all right but ryan finally mm. it's morbin time yeah. i wouldn't take this story away from you take it away <laughs> Yes, it is Morbin time for the Midnight Suns because the third DLC release for Marvel's Midnight Suns came out this week. It is called The Hunger, featuring a new playable character and new story missions with Morbius, the living vampire. We've got more vampires. We've got Dracula, who Dracula has this nice, tiny little mustache in the in the game. And I love it. He looks so scummy. It's delightful he's so cool looking in the game you've got that continuing on the story that we've been following through all the other dlcs in a really cool way uh, morbius brings 11 new hero abilities there's a brand new abbey upgrade which is the laboratory allowing you to take your heroes go through and, and do um, experiments by morbius on these heroes resulting in changes to their stats which is super cool we get fresh cosmetics for the living vampire, so a lot of cool outfits. I haven't actually gotten to download it by the time we are recording this, but they've got to have the Deep V. If the Deep V <laughs> costume is not in the game, I will have words with my friends at Firaxis and Marvel Games, but I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Uh, you can see the trailer for this new DLC on our site, on our social, YouTube, and you could just dive into the DLC Right now, if you purchase the Legendary Edition of Marvel's Midnight Suns, you receive the Season Pass containing Morbius, Deadpool, Venom, and the upcoming Storm DLC. Um, you can also buy all of these individually. It's fine, but honestly, get that Legendary Edition. It's got a lot of cool costumes and other stuff. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns is available now for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series S and X, and PC. And honestly, I've been thinking about it because it's the only game I'm really playing right now on console. And when I have like an hour or so every couple days I, I dive in. It's one of my all-time favorite Marvel games. Big praise. Yeah. The writing, the story, the characterization is so good. Like we, we talked early on about the friendships that you make in the game, but as you progress in these friendships, there's five levels. You go deeper into who these characters are. So like going into Magic's friendship, I'm level four with her right now. And like, there's this deep conversation about her childhood trauma and how that's affected her. It's not just like, oh, all silly fun stuff. There's really good, deep, intense conversations that you have with these characters. They're written really well. They're acted beautifully. The voice acting throughout this game is so good. Uh, but you also have really dumb stuff with Deadpool, who also, at the same time, does get pretty deep in his stuff. It's fun. And I've told everybody again, but just Blade... 
being really into Carol Danvers in the game. <laughs> and like at one point you just start like poking him about it. And he's like, please stop. I'm going to kill you. Please stop. And it's really fun. <laughs> like magic calling some of the Avengers boomers is just wow. wild. Love it. <laughs> I, I, honestly, truly, everybody should be playing this game. It is fantastic. It is really, really good. <laughs> Moving on to my next Loki agenda. Oh, we talked about this a little bit last week in the big old talk about the X-Men's 60th anniversary um, and Ryan's big announcement of about 800 things at the mm -hmm. virtual event for Marvel Unlimited plus subscribers and beyond. But um, we've got a little more detail coming out now. And you, you, yes, you, the person listening to this podcast, you are cordially invited to join Marvel and D23 the official Disney fan club for the fiercest fashion for a powered up party this summer. We're talking San Diego Comic-Con in San Diego, California, July 22nd of this year. Attendees are encouraged to dress up in some super powered fashions. If you guys don't know, the Hellfire Gala is an annual event in which the X-Men show up. This is the Met Gala of the Marvel Universe. This mm -hmm. is the moment. But folks who are going to be in San Diego on July 22nd and available to attend are highly recommended to dress up to the nines as would the X-Men. There are so many phenomenal costumes. I can't wait for everybody to check out the full lineup of costumes for this year. And one of my favorite things is honestly seeing who like puts together these Hellfire looks because they are the best of fashion and the best of superhero wear. Mm -hmm. Of course, the epic comic crossover is going to be coming back this year, this July, to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the X-Men. So look out for more details about that. You can follow D23 on Instagram. That's at D23. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, wherever you get your social medias. You can download the D23 fan app for more details as well. So if you're going to be in San Diego come this July, get out your pretty clothes and get ready to sparkle, y'all. Yeah, that's the Saturday of Comic-Con, July 22nd. I mean, come on. It's going to be super duper cool. Also, the Hellfire Gala comic this year is going to be wild. Is all I'll say. Oh, man. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit more about X-Men because, of course, we've been talking about the 60th anniversary. We had the virtual event uh, live that I did, the 60 Uncanny Years thing we did for our Marvel Unlimited subscribers. And we talked a lot about the, the different things there, you know, whether it's toys or apparel and stuff. So the wonderful folks on our editorial team at Marvel.com have put together a really cool uh, Marvel must-haves spotlight to show you what you can pick up. Some of the things that we showed in the event, some of the stuff that we gave away, and some stuff even more. There's a, a ton of Hasbro's Marvel Legends in there. There's an X-Men lunchbox. The lunchbox? I think I have a lunchbox like almost exactly like this as a child yeah. it's sending me yeah uh t-shirts from dim mac and three different pairs of x-men shoes that are truly truly great i actually have those three pairs i wore the phoenix shoes to the event i've been wearing them a lot they're like not high high top they're like mid high top and i love them they're great they're black and red but there's also the storm and the wolverine pair i love them all they are from Diodora and co-designed by uh, the folks at Market who do some cool streetwear stuff. Uh, I love them. They're great. There's a ton of really neat stuff that you can check out over on marvel.com slash must-haves. Yeah, and also if you're looking for some more cool stuff, Lego has a new Star-Lord helmet um, available at Target. It is a brand new build, and it features Peter Quill's iconic helmet from the Guardians of the Galaxy films. And this one comes with 602 different Lego bricks. You put them all together and it creates the helmet, which is seven inches by four and a half inches by five inches, uh, like a model. It's wonderful if you want to put it together and display it, put it on yourself because it looks super duper cool. And these are just fun. Like, I just think these are such a fun way to like, I don't know, spend an afternoon, put it on yourself, admire it. Um, don't try to wear it unless you've got a really small head, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> these have been so cool. I think these are also like a great thing to do with maybe a kiddo in your life. Not quite as easy, probably, as the baby Groot that we had come out a, a little while ago, but so fun. Go check it out. Go check out also building instructions on the Lego Builder app uh, and more images over on Target.com where you can pick it up. We have a Legoland Discovery Center that's kind of like 
halfway between where you live and where I live, Lorraine. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've, we've taken Catherine there many, many times. Last time we went, we bought her a little Spidey and his Amazing Friends Lego set that had Rhino in it because she needs a little Rhino toy. And that's like the only place we could find one. So it was great. The best. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about some comics like Women of Marvel number one, which is out this week. It's a wonderful issue. Of course, we're celebrating Women's History Month, and this is a big anthology continuing the tradition of uplifting the characters and creators you know and love and some that you are about to. We've got a diverse bunch of stories by some veterans, some up and coming talent. There's some really cool stories in here. We've got She-Hulk, we've got America and Kate Bishop. I think the America Kate Bishop story is my favorite in there. We've got Monica Rambeau, Ms. Marvel. There's all just a, a bunch of uh, different stories in this one, um, but also a bunch of great creators. Melissa Flores, who is the, the writer of the America and uh, Kate Bishop story is just like that story blew me away. I, I expect huge things from Melissa Flores from Marvel. I think this is her first thing for us, uh, which is very cool with great art by Stacey Lee in that one. Um, tons of great folks. Otherwise, the Gibbs sisters, Carola Borelli and more. Uh, you could pick it up right now and check out some awesome spotlights with women creators on Marvel.com. And Lorraine, there's even a bonus episode of Women of Marvel. Yeah, there's a bonus episode this week. Go check it out for the Women of Marvel podcast, spotlighting some of the artists featured at Disneyland Paris Women of Marvel exhibit, which you can check out at Disney's Hotel New York, The Art of Marvel. Um, but definitely go over to wherever you get your podcasts and check out the new Women of Marvel podcast bonus. I saw that Stephanie Hans posted on Instagram, she was invited to go to Disneyland Paris and do a talk because a bunch of her art is on display there. It's so cool and exciting to see her reactions to it, the fans' reactions to it. It's pretty dang neat. It is neat. Also, while we're talking some comics and some podcasts, Marvel's Voices Pride number one, it returns on June 28th. It's written by Steve Fox, Stephanie Williams, Sarah Gailey, Shetty Podoski, just a ton of phenomenal talent every time come to these issues. It's now in its third year, and Marvel's Voices Pride is the comic that proudly spotlights characters of all walks of life and identities and stories ranging from heartfelt to action-packed. These are just so delightful. Also, you can get the scoop on an unannounced X-Men title coming later mm. this year in a story written by Steve Fox with artist uh, Rosie Camp, starring Gimmick, the breakout character of the uh, comic from 2020, you might remember, known as Children of the Atom. And an all-new hero is also going to take up the mantle Nightshade to protect Chicago. The rousing new tale by Stephanie Williams. Sarah Gailey is making her Marvel Comics debut, talking Black Cat, Felicia Hardy, New Orleans Pride, and a whole bunch more stuff. Of course, we're going to get some Wiccan and Hulkling in there, because how could we not? Um, just a ton of phenomenal stuff. We also just revealed some upcoming Pride Month variant covers by artists Lucas Wernock and David Talaski. It's a mix of characters new and well-known, but wow, 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 wow. The Black Cat variant by Lucas is just fabulous. It's magical. Um, they'll all be on sale in June across a variety of titles, but of course, look out for Marvel's Voices Pride number one on June 28th. Go put it on your pull list. Yeah. Speaking of Marvel's Voices, of course, we have the Marvel's Voices podcast. And this week on the show, host Angelique Roche is talking with Cody Ziegler about writing Spider-Punk and Miles Morales and about the writer's room for Marvel Studios' She-Hulk Attorney at Law. Episodes are out every Thursday. You can listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your pods. Angelique and Cody, I love them both. I know, so fun. All right, here's the guy who knows nothing more about fun than anybody. I don't know what I just said, but you know who it is. It's Carnage, obviously. Carnage Reigns begins in May. Um, speaking of Cody Ziegler, this is mm -hmm. written by Cody Ziegler along with Alex Pactadel. It's a seven-part crossover, which begins in May with Carnage Reigns Alpha, and then it dips into Miles, Carnage, and Red Goblin books and ends with Carnage Reigns Omega in June. So in this, Miles Morales is about to swing into his darkest battle yet as he finds himself prey to the most terrifying villain in the Marvel Universe, a big red tonguey boy named Carnage. Um, <laughs> and of course, this is the original Carnage host, Cletus Casty, 
He's back and more powerful and bloodthirsty than ever. And he has a little score to settle with Miles. So watch out. Uh, it's going to be a rough one for New York City. Tongues abound. Um, starting with Carnage Reigns Alpha number one. It's going to be a banger. That kicks off on May 3rd. So very soon here before you know it. I can't believe May is so close. I know. So look out for that. Then a ton of titles here. Ryan, take us away. <laughs> yeah, it's going to, as, as you mentioned, Lorraine, it goes from that alpha issue into Miles Morales, Spider-Man, the Carnage, Red Goblin, Carnage, Miles, and then wraps up in the end of June with Carnage Reigns Omega number one. It's going to be brutal. We have a bunch of covers that everybody can check out over on Marvel.com. Summer of Symbiotes. It is coming. All kinds of symbiote goodness. Also, over in Marvel Studios land, Marvel Studios Loki, the original soundtrack season one, is on vinyl, and it's available from Mondo. We love Mondo. Mm -hmm. It was created in conjunction with Hollywood Records, and it presents the premier physical release of composer Natalie Holt's Emmy Award-nominated score for, of course, Marvel Studios Loki season one. It features 48 tracks from the complete first season soundtrack. And it's all housed in a beautiful slipcase with art by Anne Benjamin. There are three printed inner sleeves and a TVA file folder insert. Super cool TVA style interior packaging. It is a triple LP vinyl release. So these are colored vinyl. There is green, gold, and yellow, as well as the regular old black. And they're available now for 50 bucks at mondoshop.com. And they do so much cool stuff over at Mondo. There are also original score LPs for Marvel Studios' Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, as well as Marvel Studios' Thor, Love and Thunder, featuring the original scores from those films. Um, they're really phenomenal. Go check it out, mondoshop.com. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have to, of course, talk about my other show, Marvel's Pullist Podcast, where we talk about all the comics coming out every week. Uh, the picks for this week on our new issues are Doctor Strange, number one, Monica Rambeau, Photon, number four, and Women of Marvel, number one, which we already talked about. Uh, plus, I wanted to give a special shout out this week to the release of Avengers Rage of Ultron mm. Marvel Tales reprint, which is a uh, like affordable reprint of an original graphic novel we released a bunch of years ago. Uh, it's written by Rick Remender. It's got beautiful art by Jerome Opinia and um, a, a kind of young Pepe Larraz. And it's it's wild. It's the Avengers versus Ultron. And it's, it's where Hank and Ultron kind of come together, mm -hmm. which has been the status quo for a while. Uh, it's got a lot of great Wasp stuff in it, too. So it's yeah. really terrific issue. And you can get it for like eight bucks this week, which is terrific and then for this week's reading club we are joined by writer alex segura who comes on to talk about spider-man 2099 meets spider-man number one one shot from the 90s which is bananas and i had never read before it was really really fun what i love about miguel is he's basically spider-man flipped he's quippy and funny in his secret in his real secret identity but as spider-man he's very quiet and menacing whereas like our spidey is like joking all the time while he's swinging around but as peter parker you know he's a little shyer and a little more kept to himself i just love the dichotomy of the two characters so the idea of them teaming up was wild and what's interesting what peter david does really well is he keeps them apart until the last possible second and then the payoff is so great because they play off each other so well uh, as well as Alex's upcoming novel, Aranya, and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow, which releases in May. So uh, May 2nd, 2023, you can pre-order that right now. It was a lot of fun. Alex is one of my dearest friends, so it's, it's always good um, getting to spend some time with him. And uh, of course, Marvel's Pull List is out every Tuesday. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Fun fact, Alex Segura was Ryan's roommate for a long time. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so that's just a little bit of fun fact. So if you want to learn all about Ryan's dirty socks, please go listen to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I will say this. <laughs> Alex is terrible at washing dishes. Alex being from Miami, <laughs> Florida, is awful at shoveling snow to the point where I was like, just go inside. You're, you're making it worse when we had to shovel snow. It was wild. Um, as someone who is married to a Florida man... <laughs> Oh, you get it. I really understand. Um, the first time that we lived in snow um, and had to shovel ourselves, my husband got out the world's shortest shovel, like, you know, one of those like mini shovels that you have for gardening. And my husband is 6'3". So oh my God. He And then he was like, my back really hurts. And I was like, yeah, it does. 
<laughs> of course it does. What are you doing? Oh, My man. sweet, sweet husband. But anyways, um, that's from this week in Husbands. We'll talk about that <laughs> on my other podcast. Um, but for now, we have a chat coming up with my pal, Mackenzie Lee, author of The Winter Soldier Cold Front. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. All right. Of course, y'all are listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. And I'm Lorraine Sink. All right. This week, we've got on author Mackenzie Lee talking about The Winter Soldier Cold Front. This is her third YA book in the Marvel Rebels and Renegade series. The previous two books have featured Loki and then Gamora and Nebula and now Bucky Barnes all in their younger years, um, their YA books. So these focus on their teenage selves. I love that she loves a bad boy or a bad gal. It brings me great joy. And it's got all of the great, delicious YA vibes. I can't wait for you guys to hear about it. It's a super fun interview uh, in which we dive into the brooding of Bucky Barnes. Let's do it. Welcome back, New York Times bestselling author Mackenzie Lee. Hey, Mackenzie, it's so nice to see you again. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. And I'm so happy uh, I got a little, your listeners can't see it, obviously, but got a little New York Times bestselling author uh, dance there. I appreciate it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you got to celebrate the swag because it's a, it's a big thing. Absolutely. Being a writer is like fun three days out of the year. It's like when the book comes out, when <laughs> yep. the book initially gets announced and so you get all that excitement and uh, maybe like when your cover drops and the synopsis drops. So I take every celebration I can get. Heck Yeah. Now, for anyone who's not familiar, would you remind us, what's your Marvel origin story, the first way you encountered the Marvel characters, the Marvel universe in real life? Absolutely. I was a big nerd as a kid, and I was a nerd in a time before Star Wars t-shirts were readily available at Target. Like I feel like <laughs> I have to explain to especially this younger generation that there was once a time when this was not a cool mainstream thing to be. And I was really into Star Wars, and I really wanted to be into comics, specifically the Marvel stuff. I thought I would really, it seemed right up my alley, seemed like the kind of thing I would enjoy, and also just like, why not really lean into to my total uh, social death by going for the comics as well. <laughs> um, so I wanted to be a comics fan so badly and couldn't figure out how to be. I remember going to a comic book store by my grandma's house when I was growing up. And it was like exclusively populated by middle-aged men who looked at me like they didn't want me to be there. And uh, I went and picked up a, like a Spider-Man comic or something. So I was like, oh, I know Spider-Man. I know this character. And then picked it up and was like, okay, so this is starting in the middle of the story. I don't know how to read this. I don't know who the characters or the story around him are. I It's literally like picking up your, I mean, you're picking up a book in the middle of a series. And I didn't know that. And I didn't know how to read it. I didn't know how to find earlier versions. I didn't know what was sort of the prerequisite required in order to understand these stories and didn't have any way to learn and and just sort of gave up on on comics. And then later in my in my life, when the Marvel movies started coming out, suddenly it felt like everybody had sort of a common language on a lot of these characters, or at least we had a common starting point. And for me, this will fold nicely into our conversation here. The first comics that I really got into and became obsessed with were the Ed Brubaker run of The Winter Soldier. Nice. And those were like the comics that made me a comic reader. Like those were the ones I was like, I get this. I get how people get really obsessed with these. It's not that I'd ever looked down on comics before, but suddenly I was like, yes, this is literature. Like I understand mm -hmm. how this fits <laughs> in sort of the wider conversation of of books and literature. And I just was obsessed with with the Winter Soldier specifically before I ever started writing for Marvel, before I ever got this book deal. And that's my comics story. I definitely love it, though. And I love that you got into that Brew Breaker run because obviously it's so important to Bucky. And you are so wonderful at writing an anti-hero. You've done three books for us, right? Uh, yeah. Of the Rebels and Renegade Crazy. series, one for Loki, one for Gamora and Nebula, and now we have Winter Soldier Cold Front. How did you get into this sort of, although they are not connected, they are a series uh, sort of thematically under the anti-hero 
people with troubles umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> Writing the series was literally just right place at the right time. My editor who initially worked with me at Marvel Press and who sort of brought me on for this project wanted to hire someone to write a series specifically of books about antiheroes in the Marvel Universe as teenagers and sort of seeing them earlier in their timeline than we'd seen them before. And in summer-ish of 2017, she got the go-ahead to go ahead and hire a writer and get the project going. And she happened to be reading my book, The Gentleman's Guide to Vice and Virtue, had just come out. And she happened to be reading it right at that time and was like, this is the person I would like to I would like to write these books. So it was truly just like the good luck of, of being in the right place at the right time, which is how so many things in this in this industry come about sure. and how so many, so many facets of being an artist are just dumb luck. It's about luck, but also like being ready when the opportunity comes for you. And that's what I have been striving for in my career is that when these moments come, I'm, I'm ready for them. And I'm not just in the right place at the right time, but I have the right skills and the right materials and the right, the right knowledge. And I'm, I'm coming in ready. Loki was sort of the one that they came in hard with. They were like, we're going to start with Loki as the first one. Here's some tentative other characters that we might be interested in including in this, the second and third books. But Loki was the initial pitch. I'm a big Loki fan. Um, I was really excited to write about Loki. Winter Soldier is like my ride or die in Marvel has has <laughs> been my favorite because of those Brubaker comics. Like really just like truly, I think one of the most interesting, interesting, sad, beautiful, tragic Marvel characters. And so Winter Soldier was on like the potential, the potential list at the start. I sort of eyeballed hard and I was like, just so everybody knows, I would really like to write a Bucky Barnes book. And they're like, let's focus on Loki first. I was like, great. I'll mention it a couple more times before we get there, just so you all know. And I was thrilled doing get Nebula and Gamora was great. They were not initially on the sort of pitch. We had talked about Star-Lord when they first brought me onto this project. And then um, after Loki came out, I think it was Infinity War that had just come out and Gamora and Nebula had both had these great arcs over Infinity War and the characters were sort of like popping off in the in the MCU. And so we we reframed Star-Lord as Gamora Nebula, which I think was was awesome. And it was such a, a mm -hmm. wonderful, fun book to get to write. And getting to write Nebula and Gamora was so wonderful because I've never done a sci-fi book before. And that was a pure sci-fi novel. And getting to sort of play in this new genre and but do it in a space where already there's been so much work done, where there's so much like there's so much character development already. There was a language and characters and relationships that everybody's familiar with. It was such a great way to enter that genre as a writer. Yeah, then doing Bucky Barnes for the third one, getting to do do the Bucky Barnes Winter Soldier book is this sort of dual narrative, Cold War spy, sort of Marvel meets Jean Le Carre was the dream project. It is truly, truly the highest, the highest note I could have ended on. Um, well, all of the books so far have just been so phenomenal, such a delight to get to read. And your love for Bucky is so apparent in the book. And it's really exciting because we, you know, these are sort of younger versions of our characters that we aren't as familiar with from like the MCU or even very much in the comics. You know, that's a pretty rare thing to get to see. So give us a little bit of love on the book. What's the story about um, for anyone who hasn't gotten a chance to pick it up or isn't familiar yet with Winter Soldier Cold Front? Exactly what you said. It's really exciting to get to visit these characters early on because when we, their, their defining personality traits are sort of their anti-hero-ness, right? The kind of the slipperiness and the sneakiness and the moral ambiguity. And so getting to see them younger, they haven't totally formed that yet, but it's starting to take root. He grew up on a on an army base and lost his mother really young and then lost his father to a uh, accident on this military base. And so he was sort of raised by this camp, by this, this camp of military guys who just like adopted him as their mascot. And he was, he was kind of scrappy and he was kind of a punk and... Um, He's not a great student. He doesn't love school, just really wants to be a soldier. And then eventually we see him sort of join up with Steve and with Captain America. And then he becomes kind of Captain America's cleanup crew. Mm. It's not work without collateral damage, but it's important to keep that out of the spotlight to maintain Steve Rogers' image and this sort of this noble fight and this noble war and the uncomplicated narrative of punching Nazis. But I was fascinated by, by the idea of what's the the collateral damage even of this sort of noble war and this this war where we were sort of unambiguously the good guys for maybe the last the last time in recent history and we were fighting a truly evil force and yet there are still innocent people who are suffering for it there are st there's still gray areas and and ambiguity and so bucky in the book is sort of getting into the war for the first time and realizing that that nothing is quite as black and white and 
patriotism in particular is not as black and white and uncomplicated as he has wanted it to be and as he's sort of thought of it as after being raised on this military base and with this war hero father and 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 guardian and just these these soldiers all around him. In the MCU, Bucky is very much like the big brother figure. And, you know, I, I always think of in the comics, like Bucky with the little mask and he's like, <laughs> little friend to Cap. And he's, he's the like, little brother in the comics. Yeah, he's definitely the little brother in the comics who's like along for the ride with Captain America. But also when you start looking at Bucky's like true backstory and putting it into sort of a realistic landscape. That is so traumatic for a child to go through World War II with a oh bunch of adult men. <laughs> yes. Well, for I mean, it's traumatic to have your your one parent die. It's traumatic to have two yes. parents die. It's traumatic to have a parent die in an accident on a military base at which you then continue living. Like it's a it's a traumatic childhood, which leads to some sort of overcompensating of ideas about patriotism within the book and his sort of ideas about I got to make it worth it too. Like, I don't want anybody to die for nothing. So you got to sort of be all in on this and right. and to just be living so close up and on such familiar terms with the cost of the war. It's a traumatic backstory. I mean, the I was joking that the subtitle for this book, it's Winter Soldier Cold Front, but it could have just been called Bucky Barnes Will Never Be Happy, um, <laughs> which is sort of... It's sort of unfortunate, but also kind of kind of true. Like there's no happy ending for this guy in any scenario, which is tragic, but also f- just wonderful to mine as a storyteller. <laughs> but also like so perfect for YA because what mm-hmm. is more fraught than like the oh, it, teenage it experience? Really is. Like the the YA he's he was made for an angsty YA novel. And I'm glad I got to write that angsty YA novel. <laughs> we should add quickly as we're talking about like patriotism and moral ambiguity. It's it's a very fun book. All three of them hopefully are very, very fun. <laughs> no, they absolutely are. There's tons of action. There's some little bromance, some mystery. Sort of what do you think are like the, the elements that you always want to dig into when you're, you know, writing this kind of YA novel and the sort of experiences that you want to to see in that kind of book? I mean, I think young adult novels are about young people deciding what kind of adults they're going to be. Um, And figuring out how to process these formative experiences of their youth and how they are going to let those things change them and let those things form them. And I think part of the appeal of young adult novels for readers of all ages is that we all sort of always feel like we're coming of age. Right. I mean, I personally keep waiting for the day when I feel like I have it all figured out and I'm not going to feel like I'm three raccoons in a trench coat every morning. Um, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. And so I find these, I find young adult novels very appealing for that reason, which is that I still feel like I'm constantly trying to figure out who I want to be and how I'm going to to process these, these things that are happening to me, whether on a, a grand scale in the world around me or on a personal scale. And I think young adult just makes that so immediate and so intimate and personal for these characters. And so for me, these books were we know the end point of these characters, right? We sort of know, Mm -hmm. we know where they end up. And the question then for me was, was how do they get there? Like what was, if, if these characters as adults have to look back on their lives and point to one sort of formative experience that made them, made them the person they are when we catch up with them, either in the movies or, or later in the comics, what would that experience be? That was sort of the starting point for all three of these books and how I approached writing these particular narratives. There's something really I, I'm so drawn to about watching a character like figure it out for the first time and going yeah. through it. And, you know, Bucky has such a great cast of characters and and sort of interesting things happening around him. Who are we going to see in the novel? You know, we've talked a little bit about his parents. Obviously, Steve Rogers is uh, floating in the ether. But who else <laughs> might we see in this book that you can tell us about? Well, so, okay. Um, the book is two timelines. So there's one timeline that's set in the 1940s about teenage Bucky. And then there's another timeline set in the 19... Oh boy, where'd we land? 1950s, I think, 54. 54. Um, yeah. So it's 41 and 54. And the timeline of 54 is about the Winter Soldier sort of early on in his uh, in his training and his his programming with the, the Soviet Union. And so you have sort of two separate casts of characters and two storylines that are they're happening on on either end of World War II and then they they eventually intersect in the the timeline of 1941 with with young buck he's getting involved in the war as a teenager much to the chagrin of his father figure slash legal guardian uh, named Commander Crawford who who's at this military base that that Bucky's 
I was going to say stationed on, but really just sort of like squatting on. And so he's he's been recruited for this program to to go overseas, and he's going to get sort of spy training, and then be used as a young agent to be placed in these uh, locations that aren't accessible to older adults, like like universities and schools and things like that. And and um, he's very excited about this, and really excited to be like part of the war, even though he's too young to enlist. And gets to the UK and immediately gets in hot water before he ever starts his training um, and gets into hot water specifically uh, with this young woman who he accidentally sort of falls into the orbit of. And at first he only knows her by her code name, for lack of a better word, which is Gimlet. Um, and he meets her at this chess tournament that, they're, that he's supposed to be playing at as a cover and then things sort of go off the rails. So we have Gimlet on the one end of, of World War II, who is a, a young British woman who's involved in the war in her own way. Um, and who is very sort of very smart and kind of mean, uh, which Bucky finds kind of weirdly hot um, <laughs> and is is very is as determined as Bucky is and is sort of set in her her youthful certainty and her her youthful ideas about the war being fought around her. And it's also like paid an enormous personal cost in the same way Bucky has. And they sort of end up approaching this central fight from two different sides and both end up seeing sort of more where the other is coming from and then having to make decisions based on that. So they very much leave each other different than they found each other. Um, And then the 1954 timeline with the Winter Soldier, sort of his primary force in his life is his his handler for the Karpov's department, uh, Department X. His sort of primary person is an agent called Rostova, who was in World War II. She's come out the other end of World War II after being a sniper in the Red Army part of this like really fascinating and real elite group of, of female snipers that were used by the Russian army, which I would highly recommend everybody read about because it's just nuts. But yeah, she's come out the other side of World War II and sort of like doesn't know how to be a human when there's not a war to fight. Um, and so she's ended up coming into Department X and is working with the Winter Soldier and uh, is trying not to get attached is maybe the best way to say it. And those are sort of the two primary driving forces and the opposite sides of the war for him are Gimlet and Rostova. I think something that's, you know, so fun that we get to really explore in this and, you know, something I always enjoy about getting to read a novelization of like a Marvel story as opposed to just watching a film or uh, reading a comic is you get so much more, I think, inside perspective on a character. Um, And I like that we get a little bit more of Bucky and because he's such a complicated character and he's doesn't remember things, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is just like another interesting sort of complication and memory is like such a powerful tool because we are a amalgam of our experiences. And if you don't have your experiences, what are you? That became sort of for me, the central question of the novel is, is yeah. who are you without your memory and who are you without these these formative experiences and how much can be how much can be taken away from you and how much is just intrinsically a part of you. That's for me, the whole book. It's it's questions that come up in both timelines. It's about the ownership of memory, the, the, the sort of inherent autonomy of a person that comes from us being the only people who have our memories and those sort of being a inalienable human right is the right to yourself and the right to own and remember and know the things that have happened to you. How much is left of a person when they they can't remember the things that made them who they are? And can you write over those things or are there pieces of you that just stay, that can't sort of be affected or changed or blotted out? So many interesting themes. And I wonder if I could put you on the spot because I think that this um, ties nicely to what we're talking about. There is a wonderful passage um, at the bottom of page 239 in your book. I wondered if you might read it for us here, just that... Uh, penultimate paragraph there. I would be happy to. Um, He hates the way she's looking at him. He's been studied by doctors, evaluated for physical fitness. He's been examined and scrutinized, but no one has ever looked at him the way she is, like she knows him. His grip tightens on the pistol. It suddenly feels flimsy, a few light strips of metal, no match for his own hand. She takes a step towards him. Shoot her, he thinks, but he can't. He can't move. Something in her gaze is pinning him to the floor, muscles shaking like he's fighting restraints. Put the gun down, Bucky, she says quietly, and she reaches out, two fingers on the barrel. We're not going to hurt each other. Who the hell, he says, is Bucky. I love this passage so much. I mean, obviously, it's like a very dramatic, interesting part of the story. But why is this scene, do you think, so important 
to this story and and also just so quintessentially like the Bucky experience. I mean, I I sort of started the book by saying I got to get who the hell is Bucky in there and then just sort of worked backward <laughs> from that. Um, this point in the book is sort of the meeting point of the two stories in a lot of way. Mm-hmm. The, the two timelines intersect at this moment and then never separate each other again. And yeah, the, the Bucky Barnes story is meeting people who know more about you than you do. Again, yeah, not knowing who you are, not knowing what about you has sort of been put there by other people and planted and placed and is being used to manipulate you and what is actually your choice and your your choice of what to do with your own experiences. Because that's so much of what forms us, right? Is that it's not just the things that happen to us, it's how we choose to carry them and wear them and react to them and and the impact we let them have on us. And so he's sort of been an, an unwitting participant in so many events and in so many aspects of his own life. And, and some of them he can't even remember anymore. It's not just losing your memory, it's losing the choice that comes with memory and with experience. It's always just such a delight to get to talk to you, to talk about your work. Of course, everyone should go read The Winter Soldier Cold Front. It's so phenomenal. Is there anything that you want to share with us that's up next for you that you are allowed to tease or on the horizon that we should know about? My my next project is and now for something completely different. I'm I'm actually writing an adult kind of romancy novel, an adult rom-com that we've been we've been pitching as if if Bridgerton starred Kate McKinnon and is about two women falling in love in the Regency while they're pursuing the same duke. Um and I'm really excited about it and it's going to be something completely different than any of the Marvel stuff. And getting to do these has been so great. But I hope they all still feel like, as much as they feel like Marvel novels, I hope they still feel like Mackenzie Lee novels as well, both with my sort of like offbeat sense of humor and the the historical elements that I bring in, but also just the interpretations of these characters and their their humor and the things that I am attracted to about them. So I would hope that if you read these Marvel novels and enjoy them, there's enough of me in there that you could also go pick up my fiction and enjoy that as well. We will follow you wherever you go because you're wonderful. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. And again, everybody, go get your copy of The Winter Soldier Cold Front. Thank you so much for having me. I love a good triple B, Broody Bucky Barnes. Yeah, go pick up The Winter Soldier Cold Front wherever you get your books. It is fabulous. Yes. All right, let's get ready to get into our community section in a second. We have to get y'all a question of the week. So you had a good one this week, Lorraine. Yeah, since we're in the final week of Women's History Month, we want to ask you folks, who is your favorite woman of Marvel and why? I mean, obviously, the Marvel Universe has some of the greatest female characters in, I think, history. But I'm always going to go with like probably my top three, top four, which are She-Hulk, Squirrel Girl, Phoenix, Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, Black Widow. (laughs) Your math is a little off. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. Storm. Uh, So. (laughs) It's so hard. It's actually a really tough question because we have such a great, diverse, wide, deep bench of incredible female Mm -hmm. heroes. Well, and I love them all for different reasons. You know, like I love that She-Hulk is so big and strong and powerful and sort of unafraid of her largeness and to take up space and i love that squirrel girl is so kind and i love that phoenix is kind of just like bucket nuts and will light a world on (laughs) on fire and like owns her anger in like a really weird way i think is really cool i like natasha because she's she's sneaky but deep you know she acts like she's got no feelings but then she's like stab 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 and then she's like oh no feelings i don't know i there's so many great characters and like miss marvel in recent years is just become the heart of the Marvel universe in so many ways. Yeah. There's just so many good ones. And yeah. then you have like Marrow. <laughs> Husk. The weird ex-ladies who are just like, I have creepy bones and my skin comes off. Look, you know, a character that uh, I've been really into over 
the last year or so based on some Infinity comics was uh, Nature Girl. Nature Girl oh, um, yeah. in X-Men Green, who has had like a really interesting arc going mm-hmm. from, you know, like this compassion to this fury and all the gnarly stuff that she's gone through and done. And those X-Men Green comics in uh, X-Men Unlimited are really, really good if anybody hasn't read those. Obviously, you gave some of the heaviest hitters, uh, Sue Storm, I would throw out there, Kitty oh. Pride. You know, there's a ton of like the those like high level Marvel women that just deserve all the praise, rightfully so. But there's also such a deep bench of of characters. You're joking about Marrow and Husk, but like Husk their stories rules. are like very touching, though. Yeah, Jubilee. Come Jubilee. on, give me some Jubilee. Jubes, uh, yeah. You know, you you go through decades and decades of of great characters, especially especially through X Men comics. I think, in particular, you know, it's it's hard to for me to to not be unbiased about everything X Men, but man, freaking great. And then we even have our folks that don't have superpowers necessarily, but are just as phenomenal. Like, and, and not just to pick the redheads, but like Mary Jane and Pepper Potts. And, you know, the the humans that ground the Marvel Universe. Oh, and then Monica Rambeau. How could I forget? I love her. Yeah. Anyways, I choose them all. There. Uh, Aunt May. Aunt, Aunt May. May. Ugh, I, a classic. Yeah. You know, like raised the greatest fictional character of all time. So come on. Yeah. Come on. Deal with in, it. In and of herself, she friggin' rules. Oh, God. All right. That's a tough one. So we want to know, again, your favorite woman of Marvel. You can tweet your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Yeah. All right. It's time for This Week in Messages. The question of the week last week was, of course, we're celebrating the X-Men 60th. So the traditional 60th anniversary gift is something like diamonds. But with the Avengers, the X-Men, Doctor Strange, the Wasp, and Nick Fury all celebrating their 60th anniversaries this year, um, to whom do you want to give that sweet, sweet diamond? So let's do it. All right. We have one that tweeted, not to make this about Emma, but I'll make this about Emma because her skin is literally diamond. Yes, shine bright like a diamond. All right, Dave Da Silva at Dave underscore DSG said, to Emma Frost, a beautiful diamond for a gorgeous diamond. Diamonds for diamonds. Diamonds are a girl's best friend, if you're best friends with Emma Frost. Paul Warren wrote an email, um, really more talking about uh, favorite mutants um, from a week or so ago. And Paul said, it's been great to celebrate the X milestone as a community. I think my favorite mutant might be the mysterious Layla Miller. She shut down House of M as a kid, and then I don't want to spoil what all went down in Peter David's X-Factor run. But anyway, I feel I don't need to write every week because Multiple Man is my answer to most of your questions. I want Jamie Madrax to fight Wolverine, want to play him in the tabletop game, etc., etc., etc. Jamie still gets the spotlight in comics now and then, but not as much as Layla. P.S. was cool to hear the popularity of Kitty Pride from other listeners. Ultimate Kitty was pretty cool, too. Loved Ultimate Kitty Pride. She was great. She went out with Spidey for a little while. Those were some fun comics. There's, I mean, Layla Miller's a really cool answer to that question i guess if you're a jamie fan you're going to be a layla fan they have such a cool intertwined uh history these days just the best all right we got a facebook message here from Raphael, which said talking about marvel snap which we of course have been talking about this a wonderful mobile game quite a lot here on this week in marvel who said whoever came up with the wrestling variants in marvel snap get them an award and raise <laughs> Uh, and it shows a screenshot of Taskmaster doing a full, like, uh, jumping off the ring kind of style <laughs> jump. Yeah. Super phenomenal. Wearing a big belt with a T uh, on it. Uh, Love it. A title. Excuse me. Oh, He's sorry. probably wearing a title. Um, it might be his, his like, belt, but usually, usually in the parlance, they call them titles. Oh, well. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, then. I rock a, uh, the wrestling variant for Venom in Marvel Snap because it's great. He's, he's holding up a title, and it's just... It's really fun. Uh, I agree with all of that, Raphael. Uh, we also had a Facebook message from Jonathan in reference to, we were talking about Marvel Mechasaurs recently, and Jonathan said, thank you for being such ding-dang delights. I will keep my ding-dang eyes open for potential merch. 
So, Lorraine, what do you say about that? Yeah. Um, if you guys aren't familiar, head over to youtube.com slash MarvelHQ and watch some of Marvel's Avengers Mech Strike Mechasaurs in which the superheroes are creating some mechanical dinosaurs to fight Ultron. It's super fun. Tons of cute stuff. And uh, we will keep our eyes out for more cool stuff coming to the product world for that as well. Mm-hmm. So Jake Bolton here said, for the question about the anniversaries, I think the costume Blade gets in Midnight Suns is perfect for his 50th. On the same token, Ryan, I picked the right hero to become best friends with. My first best friend in Midnight Suns was Magic, of course. Oh, yeah. It all comes full circle for you, Ryan. I know. I know. Look, I am working on getting full friendships with every character in the game. Like, even... You know, Doctor Strange, who's just such an annoying character in a good way. But like, I'm just like, this guy, stop complaining. Stop being so smart. Um, All right. We got an email from Randall who said in response to what mutant character meant the most to them, Randall said, Nightcrawler. I had a very spiritual upbringing and was seen as an outsider. His juxtaposition as a man of faith, but in a body of a demon really connected with me. Kurt greeted people with kindness, gave others a second chance, and would always sacrifice himself to help others. Oh, funny little elf. Love this upbeat, swashbuckling blue elf with a heart of gold. Oh, so nice. All right, we got an email here from our friend Dog Girl who said, Hello, you two delightful Americans. I just wanted to say I've been enjoying reading on Marvel Unlimited so much over the past few years. It's a great way to fill in the blanks and learn about the amazing universe that is Marvel for a newer fan like myself. I'm seriously looking forward to go spend my birthday money on more comics. Uh, And then... Uh, She went on to share some more great ideas and thoughts with us. Thank you so much. We have an email from Jason who said, Aloha from Hawaii. I watched the X-Men 60th anniversary virtual event last week and it was awesome. It was so cool seeing creators such as Chris Claremont to Grant Morrison from different eras of the X-Men history during the event. And Ryan, you're an excellent host. Everybody have a great week and read some exciting X-Men on Marvel Unlimited. Thanks, Jason. Glad you enjoyed the, uh, the show. Yeah. Also, we've got an email here from Mahika Garg, who was talking about Quantumania. Of course, we've been talking about it on and off um, over the last few weeks since the film has come out. Uh, And they said, I was definitely most excited to finally learn more about the quantum realm and get a proper taste of Kang the Conqueror. I hadn't watched the trailer before I watched the movie to have a completely spoiler-free experience. So my knowledge of what was coming was very limited. Who else is going to see the movie without seeing a trailer? Neat. I love doing that with movies when I can, just trying to have a 100% fresh experience, not letting the trailer spoil anything for me. It's such a fun way to watch a movie. We got an email from Joe Hoffman who uh, said, thanks for another incredible show. You all gave us more of a light, a lot to look forward to in the days ahead. I enjoyed the interview with editor-in-chief C.B. Cebulski. I always love it whenever he stops by on one of your shows and talks comics. It's always awesome to know that you all have a true believer at the helm of Marvel Comics like you do in C.B. I'm sure that's one of the reasons you are all so amazing. And in answer to the question of the week, I give the 60th anniversary diamond to stand the man Lee for helping create killer comics like the X-Men and the Avengers and for all that he's done throughout most of these past 60 years to promote the X-Men, the Avengers and other amazing titles at Marvel Comics. And uh, also Joe sent some photos from uh, the Planet Comic Con recently, which is very, very cool seeing Jason Aaron and Chris Claremont. So very cool. Glad you had fun, Joe. Man, a great week here in marvel we did it ryan we have done it it is done it is did that is the end this episode of this week in marvel is produced by cara mcgurk allison isabel robertson the rain sink and ryan panagos our senior manager of audio production and development is brad barton jill deboff is our director of audio thanks this week to director of production management larissa rosen and of course as always special thanks to the xavier school apply now to the xavier institute we hope you survive the experience. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. This is Marvel. Your universe.